Right where you're standing, will you pray with me? God, we declare you in this place, Lord of all. We declare you as the one and only that is worthy of our song, of our praise, of our hearts, of our minds, of our lives, of our very souls. You are the only one that is worthy. And so we declare you in this place as good and as holy and as just and as righteous. And we declare you today of all days, the God who loves us, who sees us, who knows us. And so in this place, we declare you, Jesus, the Christ crucified, buried, conquering death, and risen again. We worship you. It's in your name, in your name alone, that we pray. Amen. Would you listen to these words? On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Please have a seat. My name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. It's so good to be with you uh, here in this room, in this space together this morning. If you're online, it's good to be with you at this time and gathering in this way. This is a special day. This is Resurrection Sunday. And on this Sunday of all Sundays, we, we celebrate and we tell the story again to ourselves and we sing the story again of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's a story that has transformed our lives and has made us into different people. It's a story that all of history hinges on. It's a story that has actually transformed all of history in some way or another. And it's my privilege and it's our privilege together to, to recount and to retell and to rehear this particular story. This makes all the difference in the world and in each of our lives personally. And so I wanna tell this story again over the next few moments. And so when we hear something and when we hear a story, we all have an, have an opportunity to respond. And in fact, we do respond whenever we hear anything. We can respond by ignoring. We can respond by acting, we can respond by thinking, of feeling, of believing, of doing all sorts of different things. And so for all of us this morning, whether you know Jesus, believe in him, and can sing to him and declare him as your king and your savior, or whether you're listening to this and you're here this morning and you've woken up today and you're not quite sure what you think of Jesus, or maybe you think a little bit of him, but you're not sure how much to make of him and how that affects your life, we all have an opportunity to respond as we hear the story told again. And so for this story that changes all of history, I'd like to start at my mailbox. That makes sense, right? Now, if it's a story that affects all of history, we probably should start at somewhere more significant, but I get to speak this morning and I wanna start at my mailbox. So let's start at my mailbox. Five days ago at my mailbox, I walk out and I, I open it and I take out a box that's about a half the size of a of a shoe box, small box, and on it are in bold letters these few words, good things await you. 
Some of you have gotten this exact box. Good things await you. Now, if you hear that, or if you open up your mailbox and you had a box that said good things await you, how would you respond? I can tell you how I would like to have responded. I would have liked to have responded and gone, that's good. I'm glad. I can't wait to open this. Good things await me. But to be perfectly honest with you, that is not how I responded. Those were not the first thoughts that ran through my mind. In fact, they were about the opposite. In fact, I read that phrase on that box and I wanted to drop kick it across the street. <laughs> good things await me. Good things await you. Good things await us. And I'm holding this box and I, the first thoughts that went through my mind is there's no way that there are good things in this box for me, for us. Because the kind of good things that I want don't fit in this box. I'm pretty certain that there's not a good thing in this box that is going to end the violence and murder and war in Ukraine right now. That would be a good thing. That's something I want. I want there not to be war in this planet. I don't think that's gonna happen in this box. I don't think the thing in this box is going to end the threat, the fear, and the repercussions of a two-year global pandemic. I don't think the things in this box are gonna help the people that I know that have been struggling with isolation and the fracture and loss of relationships over the last two years. I don't think the things in this box are gonna end the economic threat and uncertainty that we all live in right now. I don't think the things in this box are going to heal the division and the wounding and the pain and the misunderstanding around the issues that plague us as a city and as a culture right now when it comes to issues of ethnicity and race and sexuality. So the kind of things that I would really like, that I think would be really good, I don't think are in this box. So if it's not clear, I had a, a bit of a meltdown there on the curb in front of my house because I don't think good things that I want were in that box. And as I had those thoughts run through my mind that absolutely affected my heart and the way that I felt in that moment, I realized something that I think we probably all experience and feel right now in this moment. And that is that it's very difficult to hope. Some of you are, are more hopeful by nature and you think, oh man, what was wrong with you? Why can't you just read that and just be kind of glad and take it in and realize it's not even for you, it's for your son and there's five pairs of glasses in here and he's really excited about that. And maybe you're more able and capable of hoping right now. But as we look around and as we take inventory, not of just of our own lives and the lives of those around us and our family and friends and we look at our own city and see the problems that plague our city and region and nation, and, and then we go around and go, it's difficult to hope right now. And so of one form or another, every single one of us needs to hear a story and needs to hear the story that allows there to inject hope into not just our hearts and minds and our individual lives, but into the world that we exist in, into humanity right now. And there is a story that does that and it does it over and over and over again. And it forecasts and it points to a time where hope will be realized. Hope, not that is wishful thinking, but hope that is built on promises of one who fulfills his promises and therefore says this is where we're headed 
and good things do await you and I and all of creation. And that story is recorded and captured in a few short sentences that a guy named Paul wrote to a young church, and he says it this way. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Gospel means good news, an announcement of something that is in existence, true, and has happened, that we can attest to and see. It is news. It is an announcement of something that has happened, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Salvation is at risk, and when there is salvation and a mention of it and promise of, there is the implication that there is an enemy, and that there is someone who sees both the enemy and the one that needs to be saved and does something about it. And outside of embracing what that salvation means, we live and exist in vain. He goes on and says this, this is it. This is the good news. For what I received I passed on to you is of first importance, the most important thing. That Christ, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then it goes on to say, and then other people saw him. And so he captures very briefly, very shortly, this is the good news. This is the story that Jesus Christ died, that he was crucified. If you were here with us or any place that, that reflected on the crucifixion of Jesus on Friday night, the story of Jesus going to trial, being accused of things, not defending himself, and then beaten horribly, and then nailed to a cross, and then of a culture and a people at a time that throughout all of history were very skilled at making sure the human body was dead, killed Jesus and confirmed that, yes, he was truly dead, and then buried him in a tomb. And Paul says that he did that because there's a problem within humanity. There's a problem that leads to our lack of hope. There's a problem that leads to us being in isolation, not just from our friends and family, but from our creator who loves us and by his own hand made us. And it's called sin. And that Jesus died to conquer the power, the presence of sin. And he was buried and then he conquered death and he rose again. And that is the story. Those are the accounts, the elements, the parts of it, the facts of it. There's a question that you and I have to ask at this point, because those, that's, that's the historical thing that happened. That's the story. But as we know, stories can communicate something, but we sometimes can miss what they're intending to communicate. And so to ensure that we don't miss what this story is intending to communicate, what it really means, we have to back up and we have to ask another question. And the question is this. And maybe you're already asking it in your mind. Why? Why, why, did that why did that happen? Why did Jesus go through that pain of death and then be buried and then conquer death and rise again? Why did that happen? And there's a, there's a reason that that happened. And if we don't understand the reason, the story itself doesn't quite make sense. And so we have to answer this question of why. And the reason is life-altering. The reason shapes everything we think of ourselves and the world. The reason explains so many things for us, and without understanding that reason, the story itself doesn't quite make sense. And so let's be really clear this morning that we understand the reason of why this story takes place. And the reason is captured in two short sentences 
in another place that this guy named Paul wrote is the book of Romans, and it's Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and listen to this. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason this story takes place, the reason that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again was very simply because God loves us. And if we don't understand that God first loved us, then the story itself doesn't quite connect with our deepest needs. It doesn't quite make sense for why the God of the universe, who carefully, knowingly, handcrafted each and every one of us that made us and made this entire universe, that all of creation, that God made it, he made it out of an overflow of love of him, that he existed before anything else, that there has never been a, a time when he's not existed, that he is eternal, and he is a God of love, and he chooses to love, and he chooses to create, and he chooses to make, and he chooses to rescue and pursue and to heal, and God loves me, and God loves you, and God loves every single person who has ever lived, whoever lives today and whoever will be born, that God is a God of love. But he doesn't announce it only. He doesn't allow it to be written of only. He doesn't just stick it in his front yard and say, hey, I'm a God of love. He acts on it. And love cannot be separated from sacrifice that anyone that you and I have ever loved, we've been willing to sacrifice and give up something for. And that comes from and is generated from the heart of God, that God loves you and I. And so he sacrificed for us, that he stepped into our condition and our world and our existence, and he lived among us, the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human. And then he experienced pain and loss and death, that he allowed himself to be killed out of his love for you and for me. When we understand the reason why Jesus lived, died, and rose again, it changes everything about how we see reality. We can reject it, we can deny it, we can doubt it, we can question it. But it is a story that explains our world and our personal condition and explains our existence. And for some, it doesn't make sense. Paul also writes this. Listen to these words and see if they resonate with you or someone you know. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross, this story that we've just heard again, is foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's God's love demonstrated in power. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57. Listen to this. He says this. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That when we stand on this day and we sing to Jesus, we're declaring that he is God, is, has victory and power over death, that the most guaranteed powerful thing in our human existence isn't the most powerful thing in all of existence. There's something more powerful than death in our reality. And it's a loving God who is powerful enough to reach out and save you and I.
who knows each and every one of us. And so our invitation is to respond with faith that is as small as a small seed or faith that colors and shapes our entire life. And wherever you are on that spectrum, Jesus says, come and believe in me and follow me and depend on me. Ephesians says this, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for it is by grace, this unearned thing that God extends to us through the person and work of Jesus. For it is by grace that you and I have been saved through faith. This not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a design to meet every need and to heal every wound that exists in all of creation right now. And I wish it would happen really easy when I go to my mailbox and say, this is it, this will fix everything. But God in his own timing is healing all of creation and he is making all things right. And his primary way of doing that is by helping you and I understand that in our brokenness, he took the first step and loved us enough to send his son Jesus and invites us to depend on him, not ourselves or our own power, to depend on him and his work of conquering death and rising again for us to find our hope and our salvation and our healing and our rescue and then to be engaged in the good that awaits this world, to join with God in bringing hope into every crack and brokenness that is around us today. There's four things I want you to consider. There's four things that faith invites us into. It's to declare that God is love. It's to declare that Jesus Christ died and conquered death and rose again. It's to declare that we are sinful in need of forgiveness from a savior. And it's to declare that God invites us to walk with and follow him and lead a life that is defined by him. And so I wanna invite you to pray those four things with me right now. If you've known Jesus for a long time, you, like me, might realize that we need hope in our world today, and then this is how we step into it again, by declaring the story that is true in our own lives. If you're here and you say, I don't even know that I have a little bit of faith, and I'm not quite sure how much to make of Jesus, but I want to, I want to follow him. He meets us in that simple declaration of the smallest starting place of saying, I need a savior. And so I invite you to pray with me. God, you are the God of the universe and you are love and you are powerful. Jesus, I believe that you died and that you rose again, that you are fully God, fully human, that you were truly dead, that you were buried, that you conquered the power of sin and death and you rose again. And Jesus, in my humanity, in my own choice and volition, I have sinned and I have done wrong and I fall short of who you've invited me and created me to be. I've fallen short of your standard and I need your forgiveness and I accept your grace. And Jesus, with the faith that I have now, I wanna follow you and know you and become more like you. Will you help me do that? In your name, amen. When we believe that and when we pray that, Jesus says that, that we're saved, that we're his, and that we're on a process of becoming more and more like him. And a response to that is simply celebration. And we get to celebrate now 
with people who have made that decision. And if you just made that decision, part of celebrating that is letting somebody else in on it. And so would you tell someone else? You can come tell me afterwards. You can walk right forward and you can get baptized right now. There's some folks that will be on the side over there. We have clothes, in case you're wondering. We do this every time we do baptism. But this is a fancy, wonderful shirt that you can trade for the one you're wearing right now. And you can jump in this tank. We've got shorts that come in all different sizes. And you can get baptized right now if that's a decision that you made. There's no class or pre-qualification other than saying, I have expressed my faith in Jesus and I want to follow him. And he invites us like he was to be baptized. And so we've got, I think, four that we've got planned on. If you, again, if you want to be baptized, we can baptize and we can celebrate you right now as you take that step of obedience. And here's how we do this. When somebody gets dunked under the water representing death and comes back out representing their faith and life in Jesus, we kind of just go crazy and celebrate because it's an act that God is working in this world today and we get to see that and be part of it. So this is Charlie. He's going first. His parents are in in the tank here with him. So can can we practice and just celebrate for Charlie as he gets baptized?